0: Welcome to Improv Interviews with Margot Escott, a psychotherapist in Naples, Florida, who is using her 35 years of experience to develop improvisation programs, benefiting and improving the lives of those with emotional and physical challenges. Improv Interviews brings together the world's leading improvisational theater masters, founders and innovators who are using improvisation therapeutically in unique and surprising ways. With great guests that include legends like Ed Asner and Aretha Sills, you're sure to learn something new about improvisation. This is Improv Interviews with your host, Margot Escott.
1: Good morning, Patrick McCartney. How are you today?
2: I'm well, thank you for having me.
1: Well, I'm so delighted to have an improv legend like yourself. I think I met you through our mutual friend, Craig Price.
2: Yes, Craig, uh, Craig, Craig Price, and I—we were at Second City Training Center, oh, together like twenty years ago.
1: Wow! And tell me a little bit about how you got into improv. Did you? Act, you're from New York City. Did you act as a kid? Were you interested in theater back then, or how did you get into it?
2: Sounds like you have some pup pups back there.
1: Yes, I do. <laughs> Two of how them. How many?
2: Oh. Uh two shetland Sheepdogs. oh that's nice it is nice yeah and uh oh that's great to have a couple of dogs um so i got an improv i moved to chicago when i was 18 i've been at an acting conservatory uh, called suny purchase for one right. semester And then I moved to Chicago, and then I got involved with the training center at Second City, and then I heard about Dell Close teaching at the Improv Olympia, and then I went over there, and I studied there, and then I got hired to tour with Second City when I was 24, and that was in the 90s, so I toured with some very cool people like Tina Fey and Amy Poehler, and then I did that for a couple of years, and then I moved to Los Angeles, And By then, it was um, early 2000s, and some of my friends opened the Upright Citizens Brigade. So I moved back to New York City after about a year in L.A., and I helped with the first space, uh, which was on 22nd Street, um, where an old strip club used to be, or a burlesque club, I think is what we called it, and we started teaching classes at the Upright Citizens Brigade. And then I did that for a couple of years and I did some plays here in in New York. And then I took some time off and now I'm with the People's Improv Theater, uh, also known as The Pit in New York City with my friend who I also toured with on that same touring company, at Second City and his name is Ali uh, Reza Faranakian.
1: Cool. So you're currently offering online classes at the pit because we'll be having a link to all the things you're doing right now.
2: Yes, I teach um, a Joy of Improv class. I teach a class called uh, Acting for the Camera which starts on Sunday. I teach teach improv and acting at the pit. I also teach, uh, we're trying a new class called Sober Prov for people in recovery like myself <clears throat> who want to, excuse me, my voice, <clears throat> who want to um, uh, improvise or do something fun on a Saturday night, but, you know, identify as sober.
1: Well, wow, that's awesome. I'm also a friend of Bill's. And okay, great. I've only done two. Uh, half-day workshops so far with 12-step and improv, but I'm looking into doing a longer course because I think the parallel between improv and recovery is so great, starting with acceptance and yes ending.
2: Yeah, I, I, I agree with you 100%, um, but my class won't be 12-step focused. Right. Um, it will be for anybody who identifies as being in recovery. Uh, I find that if I focus only for people that want to participate in 12 step groups, there's a lot of people I met through a show I created um, um, called sinister kid who, who, who are sober, who do not attend 12 step groups. And they, they're, they're interested in improvising just like everybody else. So I don't keep it. um, I do find uh, as a, as a, as, a, as, a, as a, you know, uh, a friend of Bill's, um, I find that the parallels are very interesting, but I don't uh, necessarily advocate that in my class. Right. Well,
1: and that can make a more inclusive class. Absolutely. So.
2: Yeah, it's not about um, the steps in my class. Right. It's about just playing.
1: Just playing? But, oh, it sounds wonderful. Yeah. So anybody anywhere could sign up for that since it's online now.
2: Anybody anywhere who says they're sober, you'll find that people who, I mean, I've done a a sober, uh, I did a sober comedy show, but you know, it's funny. It's like um, I, I I wanted to make sure that it wasn't just for uh, once again, people in 12 step groups. I wanted to keep it open uh to anybody who would whatever path they choose as far as recovery uh from uh, drug and or alcohol addiction and i found that um it was good and uh, but i also was surprised afterwards how it's just not the norm you know how how we sort of have to celebrate the idea that people are not using and doing comedy where, and that seems like an unusual thing, whereas it rather, it should be the norm and the opposite should be, should be celebrated, if at all. You know what I mean?
1: Well, uh, I think it's a wonderful project and boy, I'd like to take some classes with you. I'm already inspired. I'm taking a few classes online right now and teaching a few, but that sounds super. Um, I lived in Manhattan for 10 years. And uh, got sober, in Manhattan. Actually, in the seventies, ah. I was there during the seventies. Um, but I wonder what it's like living in the city today.
2: Uh, it's tough. It's challenging. It's uh, it's um, it's pretty bleak when you think about where live theater is going to go, and and. I don't know. I, it's hard. It's challenging. I'm doing okay, but um, it's challenging. You froze. So day to day things like in
1: oh day to day things okay yeah again all right day to day things like getting your groceries and going outside. What's that been like?
2: Um, well, we do, I, do, I haven't been out much because we're, uh, quarantining. Um, when I do go out, everybody seems to be wearing a mask. Um, when I get groceries, it's scary. It's, uh, um, you know, it's, 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 uh, now they have lines separating people, social distancing, and hopefully people are wearing masks and, uh, um, you know, it's pretty bleak and dark here in New York. I got to be honest with you. We're doing our best to 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 keep stay positive. Some days are easier than others. Um, the hardest part has been uh, the effect it's been having on small businesses and the theater. I mean, that's not the hardest part, but it's, from my perspective, that's one of the things that's hard. There's so many hard parts to it um from the uh you know the healthcare workers and uh, we have emergency alerts going out to, to hoping for more healthcare workers and uh yeah it's i mean i haven't been on the subway in a long time and the subway was part of my you know i would be on the subway at least six or seven times a day
1: i understand that the whole they're giving the some of the subway being used to house the uh, homeless which sounded pretty
2: cool, you know. I have not heard that. Yeah, <coughs> I try the not subways to- are now closed from 1 a.m. to 5 a.m. Right. So I don't know how they're doing that. I'm not sure, because that's when they're cleaning them, they say, so I don't know. Yeah. Right. How, how do you mean the subways have been housing the homeless?
1: Uh, I saw it on a reputable news channel. Um,
2: the subways, cars themselves, have been used to have- Yep. Well, the homeless have always taken to the subways. Right,
1: right, exactly.
2: I don't Uh, know how they would house them, but that would be, I don't know, I haven't heard that. It's interesting.
1: In the cars. Well, I'm hoping it's not a a myth. I didn't get it from Fox
2: News, so I'm pretty sure it's true. (laughs) Who knows what's true, what's not. There's so many stories. Every time I talk to someone outside of New York, it's sort of, uh, uh, it feels always much bleaker the stories that you're getting about New York than being here.
1: Well, I think you you got a good governor myself. I appreciate it. Oh, yeah.
2: He's doing a great job. He's doing a great job. Thank goodness.
1: Yeah. Um, Yeah. So tell me a little bit more about how you got interested in improv. Oh, I know what I wanted to say before that. Yeah. Is... Don't you think that people who are improvisers and don't you, and do you feel by teaching improv, it kind of takes us out of that gloom and doom and helps people to feel better, to laugh, to have fun.
2: Absolutely. And that's my hope with the classes I teach is, you know, to offer that opportunity. Yeah. You know? Yeah.
1: So I, and I think people who are doing the zoom shows, God bless them. Some, there are some critics about, you know, the zoom shows of improv, but, Everybody's doing their best to get on today. And I think anybody who's brave enough to put something out there, God bless them, you know? Yes, yes. totally.
2: Yes. So, Have fun, do what you got to do, stay connected, whatever it takes.
1: And I find the improvisers, I talk to a lot of improvisers and do the podcast, are keeping a pretty good attitude for the most part because they're involved with other people and they're giving to other people. And yes. And really the trick to get out of ourselves is to think about helping somebody else. And that's what Absolutely.
2: we did. Yep, totally. So
1: it's a tremendous gift we were giving. Like I said, my first class with Craig, I was hooked. I mean, I just wanted to do it all the time. Yeah. And, and I think uh, it must have been like 2013, I went to a DCM, uh, which was an interesting weekend. And, and Amy Poehler was there doing, uh, the is it ASCAT she does there at UCB?
2: Cat was a show, yep. I used to do that show.
1: Yeah?
2: Are there any Mm -hmm. videos
1: of you doing ASCAT?
2: I don't know. Maybe. All right. I've never seen one. I try not to watch uh, live improv on a video. I've never, I can't do it. I'm with a group called Centralia now. And um, we have a YouTube channel and... Uh, our one of our members, Kevin Scott, he's very good with uh, shooting stuff and all that, and he'll put them up on YouTube. But I, I, I don't watch them because I, I don't, I just don't like to watch them.
1: Okay, this is one of my
2: things. I
1: understand. I I get embarrassed when I see myself and I second guess myself is crazy. So I need to stop when I stop and go on to the next thing. So what was it about improv that got I mean, to go out to Chicago when you're 18? That's pretty crazy, Yeah, You know, so sure. were your family uh, supportive of you going into the
2: arts? I grew up in a very liberal arts family. My father's a writer. My mother was... Uh, she was a model when I was born, and she she loved the theater. She passed two years ago. She was, um, yeah. So she she turned me on to the theater, especially. And why improv? I don't know. I you know I, the people. I think I like you know wanted to be like John Belushi and and. I liked, I don't know, something about, you know, it's funny when I think about Chicago and when we were there, I moved there in 89. It was sort of like a lot of people were drawn there at that time for whatever reason. It was a very magical time in Chicago. It would be, I would say, it would probably be like Paris in the 20s or New York in the 50s. There were just a lot of. Really great minds that were pulled into Chicago um, at that time. Chicago in the '90s, it was a fascinating time, and a lot of people that were there now dictate uh, pop culture. Uh, I would dictate maybe is a bad word. Help, uh, you know, they work in. I don't know. <laughs> I'm I'm tired.
1: <laughs> oh, that's okay. That's all right. So, did you have... So, that's like 30 years ago. So, did you have... Is it? Yeah.
2: yeah i can say 10. Let's just say huh? 10. Let's just say 10 years ago. Let's just say okay, 10. 10 years ago, excuse me. 10, 10
1: years ago. Yeah, 10 ago. years ago. But you played with Tina Fey and Amy Kohler?
2: I did, yeah. In Chicago, then back in New York at, at uh, the other theater that used be.
1: Right. And what about... Um,
2: Chris Farley, Allie. Chris, oh, Chris was there. Chris was uh, already on the main stage when I moved there. So I worked with his brothers, John and Kevin Farley. Yeah. But Chris was there. Chris died when I was in Chicago. He was on the stage. Um, I believed when I moved there, if not when I moved there, then quickly after. I moved there. He was quite a force, a force of nature and talent and funny and brave and, and a total addict.
1: Yeah. I was in a room with him once. Um, and, uh, uh, he, he had this charisma about him. We were in a small group setting, so I got to hear a bit of his story and he just was a big presence when he came in, uh, Mm. That's all I can say. It was just remarkable and so sad, so tragic. That was like a few months right before he died. So yeah. And uh, so you studied with somebody who's kind of a legendary uh, improv teacher at Second City, but he's also known for being a drug addict as well, and that's Dell
2: Close. Can you share some experiences with Dell? <laughs> Uh, Dell was a great teacher. He was uh, great mind. He was very imaginative, and he was also an actor. When I worked with him, he was doing plays at Steppenwolf too. Uh, I remember going to see him in a few shows. He, we all wanted his respect. We all wanted um, to impress Dell, um, and he would challenge us. He would, you know, he was. I loved. Um, you know, he taught me commitment, and he taught me truth in comedy, and he taught me to, you know, use my acting skills as an improviser. He was intimidating, and he um, he was not the most personable guy. But uh, I I don't have any stories where I hung out with him in his apartment and and did drugs with him, but I'm sure other people do. Uh, he he was great. I mean, he, his approach I think was growing and growing and uh, I would, uh, I mean the stuff I do now, you know, it all starts with Viola Spolin, of course. <clears throat> and then Dell. as far as I'm concerned, just created what he would call traffic patterns or how to, how to run traffic, you know, that was the Herald, and um, I, I, you know, he was great, it was, uh, uh, he was, he was an interesting guy, he was, he was, uh, I learned a lot from him, and he, he, he informs probably certain ways I teach now, just by uh his, you know, I remember when we did the movie the first time, it felt like you just said, go on stage and make a movie. And we all just sort of would figure it out because we were eager and it was a very free environment. It was like very funny people. And then there were like witches and warlocks in the room, in the class. So it was, it was a cool and bizarre time.
1: So, uh, one of the stories I've heard from our mutual friend was that sometimes it would look like Dell was up there and look like he was asleep while people were doing their thing on stage. And then all of a sudden he'd give a note um, because even though he looked like he was asleep, he was paying attention somehow. And uh, (laughs) brilliant mind. And I love the story about his skull being used. um, Right.
2: Yeah. That story. Yeah. For the Hamlet. Yeah. 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 Yeah forever on stage.
1: So did you have any other remarkable teachers while you were there?
2: Oh, or- yeah, I had a wonderful acting teacher named Marianne Thebus who had a profound impact on me. I ha- I was part of an ensemble called the Center Theater Ensemble. I did plays as well as uh, improv. So I had some incredible teachers, Dan Lamort, Marianne Thebus, especially Marianne. Um, Mick Napier was my teacher for my first when i was at the training second city centers he was my first teacher and he had a great he was a great level one teacher yeah and uh gelman i had for like a level three at second city he was good um yeah a lot of very inspiring and great minds and and uh really in both improv and as an actor. And then I moved to LA and I had a wonderful teacher named Ivana Chubbuck.
1: And so we remember these teachers because they made such an impact on us. And what are some of the things that they gave us? I mean, I could tell you about the gifts I think I got, but what are some of the gifts you got as an improviser from teachers? What are the
2: gifts you got?
1: Uh, more self-confidence. Yeah. Uh, and uh learning not to try to be funny because i think most of my life i've tried to be funny and make jokes and all of that stuff and learning to be more authentic and real
2: yes for sure
1: and be yeah. in the moment. and be in the moment yeah. now be here yeah.
2: yeah 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 that's that's wonderful isn't that when that when you when you can communicate that to a student finally to just not you don't have to try and be funny it's a wonderful thing when they finally absorb that. I love that. That's why I'm constantly trying to enforce that. Especially in New York where it, where it was so competitive and people felt the need to always be funny and you know to really just get them to understand that you know and it says it in Truth and Comedy the audience can see it coming when you're trying to be funny. It's just like, don't worry about it. Trust, 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 trust. Live in the discovery. Just be in the moment with the other person. And that's what the audience will enjoy, you know? It's really it's so, it's just a wonderful thing, yeah. To yeah. know that. So, in Gelman's book talks about discovery
1: a lot. I, I think Michael Gelman's book is one of the best I ever read. I've read a lot of books, of course, but- um, ah. It is really good. And, of course, "Tooth and Comedy is the name of Sharna's book. So you worked with Sharna? Oh, yeah,
2: Sharna. Oh, yeah, she was a great teacher, too. Yeah, yeah. So she was thought... my first teacher. Oh, she was? I... Oh, yeah. When I was at Improv Olympia, there was only three teachers. It was Sharna, Noah Gregoropoulos, who was a great teacher, too, and then Del. And so Del was, like, an ongoing class like you could come back and go and he would always have a new way of doing things and try when i left dell i think the whole class we were behaving like neanderthals (laughs) for three hours (laughs) i have people do heralds like that really yeah it's funny you get a whole class to behave like neanderthals neanderthals the first half of class and have them do a herald or something and they're having fun and they're not thinking and they're behaving, they're just simply behaving. And then the minute you ask them to start speaking, everybody no longer behaves.
1: Well, it's sure, I, I, when I work with Parkinson's people, I talk about show, don't tell your feelings um, and show on your face and your you know object work, show us, don't tell us, because our physical can say so much as opposed to the words.
2: Oh, I totally agree. Ivana used to tell me you could turn down you know behavior is everything um you should be able to turn down the the volume of any movie and be able to tell what's going on through great acting through behavior right. and i and I love that I'm all about behavior, which is why this whole new zoom world is very challenging because it's you know it's hard to it's hard to use what's in front of you when it's just, you know, it's a different thing. It's not, it's less about, it's challenging.
1: It certainly is challenging, but look at how we rose to the occasion. I mean, almost immediately we were out there. I mean, that shows the true grit that improvisers have, not to be an egotist, but you know, I mean, we got out there right away. We saw something and we fixed it for ourselves as best we could and
2: our students. We're doing our best. Some of us are, some of us, some of us, I know some people that just can't do it over the zoom uh, and I hear what they're saying. um, But yeah, we have to, we evolve or, or we don't. And um, yeah, I mean, anybody can figure it out. It's improvisers. It's what we do.
1: Exactly. And there are some platforms coming out, some are in the development that I've looked at that are going to, Help us be more in a room than just these windows, Im- Im- improv uh, platforms online. So, those are being developed right now. So, that'll be exciting.
2: Oh, that's great. That's great We're news.
1: Around the stage and all kinds of cool stuff. Yeah. So, um, anyway, you are a delightful person.
2: Oh, and, thank you so much.
1: Uh, and I uh, am so glad Craig introduced us. Do you have anything to say to anybody who's thinking about starting out in improv?
2: Yeah, um, I suppose now would be a great time to start, especially if you're, uh, you know, just want to feel the, 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 the the base. I, I mean, I'm emphasizing the basics, um, you know, I'm not so much interested in advanced form or anything. I'm just sort of interested in the idea of uh, having fun and staying connected through improv games. And um, my the classes that I am teaching that stay focused on that stuff um, seem to be very effective and is a helpful time for people to carve out of their day and to, and to laugh and forget and, and, and get lost. And the joy of of improvising. I, I just recalled
1: one of the other important philosophies. I hate to use the word rules, but f- suggestion a suggestion is the no mistake idea that there are no mistakes and no failures. And yeah, can you speak on that just a little bit too?
2: Yeah, there's no mistakes. There's, uh, you just want to, and if, uh, you know, that's like uh, one of the big, I'm trying to think I had an example of that recently. I had somebody take a, I was teaching a thing called improv for anxiousness and a man came in, a lawyer who, and that's the big public speaking. They're always, you know, that difference between needing to control and allowing oneself to, Embrace whatever's going on in front of them. And um, the fear of anything going wrong in maybe a public speaking situation, or of course in an improv stage where, you know, a a chair could fall over or an audience member could um, uh, leave or. I don't know. You could use everything, you know. This was the thing. It's you could use everything as long as you live in the positive and you um, acknowledge it. It's like confessing in the moment. If like somebody's nervous in a public speaking event, I encourage them to say how they're feeling at the top of the thing. Why not? We all love that. We all are aware of the mistake, so let's just use it. Let's embrace it. We don't need to pretend. and uh, that this didn't happen or, you know, it's, it's just, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a, you know, there are no mistakes in that you can use everything and it helps. In fact, the unusual thing is usually where we make a discovery and can make a, make a create a, create a scene. That's sort of where the foundation of the scene can come in. You know,
1: absolutely. And, and, I've, i taught a lot of classes for people with anxiety and of course anxiety is being in the future. It's not being in the now. It's like, it's being in the what if mind. So and mindfulness and being in the present is such an essential part of what we do. So, um, I can't, yes. I can't wait to take a class with you, Patrick. I'm going to go online and sign up for something today.
2: Great. <laughs> I look forward to it.
1: Anyway, you've been a delightful gentleman to speak to today. And I hope we see each other more in different venues. And I I salute you for all the work that you're doing and contributing. You're just an amazing fellow. So um, keep it up. Keep up those great things you're doing.
2: And you too, Margo. Thank you so much for having me. Um, This was great.
0: Thanks
1: a lot. Take care. Bye-bye.
2: Bye
0: thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed the podcast and look forward to you joining us next time on Improv Interviews with Margot Escott.